Welcome to Mutiny Community, the officially unofficial podcast for Halt and Catch Fire on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Eric. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 3, titled Flipping the Switch, which we all knew was coming. We all knew it had to happen eventually. You don't just give software away for free, right? (laughs) Yes, you do. I guess by the end of the episode, yeah, you do again, but I don't know. So I like, I really enjoyed my week this week. I'll I'll start by talking about the other podcast that I do on the Bald Move Network, which (laughs) is direct, because we watch the social network. Yeah. And Facebook basically monetized free software. I mean, it's a free web interface, basically. But uh, I feel like, you know, Joe and the Macmillan Enterprise might be on the cusp of something here. I'm really interested to see what comes out of it. Uh but yeah, like how could how could he be on the cover of Forbes with free underneath it, <laughs> and then like immediately be like, "Oh, BT Dubs, I'm charging." Yeah, I get the feeling that this was not necessarily a test for Ryan, but like mm-hmm. just a kick in the in the seat of the pants, right? Like right. I, I think if Ryan doesn't do something within the next week or before September, at least mm-hmm. Joe goes, "Well, we can't charge for this. We've got to do something else." Yeah, um, I don't. Chart, he's not going to defer to Ryan on that stuff. It's it's a weird Joe Power move that <laughs> is frankly befuddling to me, but it's because I I love it when sh- when shows, when TV shows and movies make you feel stupid. Uh-huh. Like, I actually really, really like that. Okay. Like, I, I feel like uh, TV shows too often try to make the audience feel smart. And there's just certain things that just make you feel stupid, like uh, like The Master by uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Like that movie makes me feel like an idiot because I like <laughs> okay. I feel like it's a it's got to be a good movie. I just have no I'm no idea what's happening ever in the whole thing. I just can't understand it. Really, I know it's about a cult. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I get the broad strokes. I just feel like there's a layer of genius that I like. I'm intellectually unable uh, in, to permeate. I get that with, like, David Lynch movies. Yeah, exactly. David Lynch is another great example. Yeah. So this is the this is the level that Joe's operating on right now. And so I'm just along for the ride at this point. Because mm-hmm. I feel like Joe is easily the most interesting thing about season three so far. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, as far as, like, what, his personality or just mm-hmm. where he's trying to take this company or what? Well, I mean... He was the protagonist of the first two seasons of this. Like, he's the main character, basically. Yeah. Uh, for the most part. Um, I, I mean, season one, definitely. Season two, you could definitely say that as Mutiny expanded, Cameron became more of the forefront. Mm-hmm. But, like, at this point, he is B-plot and completely different. Like, you know, in the first two seasons of this, he's basically trying to suck up to people. He's trying to be the salesman. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of poignant in the way that this is expressed in the conversation between him and Cameron in this episode is that he's gone from being the salesman to now he's giving it away for free. He's gone from being the shill to the Zen master. Uh-huh. And so his transformation is jarring because uh, basically we get one scene in season two at the very end of season two when he's looking out over San Francisco and buying the office space. That is the new Joe, and it's something completely different than what we've seen before. Yeah, so, and somehow at the same time, they haven't lost what makes Joe Joe, in my opinion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, this stuff with Ryan, where he's clearly manipulating the kid into 
whatever he wants him to do, but yeah. it, it doesn't feel like he's trying to necessarily take advantage of this kid. Hmm. I feel like Joe's trying to take advantage of everybody at all times. Well, I mean, he's trying to accomplish a goal somehow, but I don't feel like he's trying mm. to screw this kid over, whereas sometimes I feel like mm. in the previous seasons he has been. I feel like he doesn't give a shit about this kid. <laughs> Okay. Like, I think he's got the same view that Cameron has, that there are Ryans all over the valley. Or no, not Ryans. Was that Ryan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. Did, Joe said that. There are Ryans all over the valley. Yes, he did um, say that. I think that he that he thinks exactly that. Okay. Like, like he he recognized that Ryan, Ryan is a genius and that he is really smart and that he is the new Gordon, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, but... There's also Ryan's all over the valley. He doesn't need Ryan for anything, really. Uh, right. So he's he's basically putting Ryan through this kind of weird initiation into the fraternity of Joe, where okay. <laughs> he, he brings you into a, like a boardroom board meeting and asks you your opinion when you're completely unqualified to give it. Uh-huh. Uh And he tells keeps telling you to stop working on stuff and start and because it's not what you're hired. What well, it's not what he hired you for and all of this stuff. He's putting him through this weird initiation, which I feel like will make Ryan very loyal to Joe, but I don't think Joe gives two shits about Ryan, and I feel like Cameron is completely right, and this is going to blow up in Ryan's face. Right. Based on everything we've seen so far. Yeah, I, I guess maybe that's the difference. He doesn't care about Ryan versus like actively trying to ruin someone's life <laughs> like mm-hmm. he typically does, because, I mean, he gets angry at people pretty easily, and he holds grudges, or he used to anyway. Now... I don't know if he's a Zen master now, but uh, I guess we'll find out in the next seven episodes or whatever. Yeah, and he always was most angry with himself, though, I felt. Like, he he always was frustrated because he never felt like he was fulfilling his potential. Yeah, that's true. And And now that he has, in quotation marks, fulfilled his potential... He still is unfulfilled. It's that it's the mm-hmm. you know fallacy of fulfillment, right? Mm-hmm. The idea that if you get everything you want, you'll suddenly be happy. <laughs> so his kind of personal search, I feel like, is kind of interesting. I think him going to school. We believe that he's going to school, right? Oh yeah, I think he's a okay. student. I think that that meeting was a coincidence entirely. Okay, I think so too, be- because of the scene that preceded it, where he was listening to Paul Simon and coding. Yeah. So, but I feel like they had to put that in there because otherwise it just seemed like Joe showed up at the lecture just to, you know, uh, ambush Cameron. Right. Um, but yeah, like he's he's trying to learn. He's trying to grow. He's trying to be more of a creator, I think, than Is just he? an idea guy. Uh, okay. Let, let me ask you this. See, I mm-hmm. read that scene a little differently. I thought what he mm-hmm. was there for is to do the exact same thing that Cameron's there for, which is mm-hmm. recruit. Mm. recruit the new talent, right? Like sneak in as a student, okay. make it so that people don't really know you're looking for talent, but you can identify it. Right. And he did pluck Cameron out of a classroom. Right. Right. At the very beginning of the series. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, I think there's definitely merit to that, but I also think that that scene of him coding shows right. that he is trying to have some form of personal growth. Sure. And I guess that's the thing he's always lacked. He's never had like a a a, a yearning for personal growth. Um, uh-huh. I think he's kind of feigned it, like at the end of season one when he went on the little spirit journey out into the desert, and that's where he found his fiance. Right. But 
I think he's actually like trying to actively better himself because he realizes that just because he has the company that he's always wanted and he's on the cover of Forbes, he's getting the notoriety. I mean, remember in mm-hmm. season one when he faked the whole hard drive getting wiped? Yeah. Just so that somebody would write an article about him. <laughs> right. And now he's on the cover of Forbes magazine. Like, he has made it. He's made every, he's checked off every box that Joe McMillan ever wanted. Yeah. And, and his personal fulfillment isn't, hasn't, hasn't happened. So. He's certainly comfortable, though. Comfortable within his own oh, skin. Yeah. He's comfortable within yeah. his linen skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- <laughs> this guy, I, I was doing some free association here. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, Joe, Joe in linen. Mm hmm. Uh, Joe and Lennon with those those glasses we saw last episode couldn't right. help but make the connection to John Lennon with the Zen Master thing. Oh, I feel like he's going full John Lennon here. Eventually, he's going to grow his hair out. He's going to find his Yoko, <laughs> and things will be all good. And then maybe get Ryan's is maybe Ryan's is Yoko. <laughs> maybe so. Could be. There is some, there is some speculation on the forums. Oh, uh, Nathan. Nathan from Westeros says, Joe is totally putting the moves on Ryan both professionally and romantically. Huh. I'm not really getting the romantic connection. I also don't think that Ryan necessarily is into, like, hanging out with other people. Uh-huh. But uh, just saying. Just putting that out there. All right. Maybe Ryan's the Yoko who could break up the whole... <laughs> mcmillan antivirus band could do it (laughs) who knows i do like your association by the way what where did the glasses come from he never wore glasses before i think that's uh he's just he's just doing that for show he's like a hipster he's a proto hipster wearing Mm. non-prescription glasses for show fashion frames yes yeah he just he looks really different i don't know it's just the thing i'm he's easily the most interesting thing to me because it does seem like the other characters, although I will say Cameron in this episode, she is so much more mature, and I really like where where they're, where they're going with her uh-huh. in a lot of ways. Because her personal growth from episode one to episode three of season three is great. It's it's like this awesome progression, and she's really like she's got a good head on her shoulders. Like uh, somebody on the forums had mentioned that back in the day, she would have just gone to Ryan's house and you know, trashed it. Yeah. <laughs> Probably spray painted something on the wall. Uh-huh. Like asshole. Um, but now she goes over there and she's sincerely warning this kid. Like she wants Ryan back because he's a good coder. Yeah. But she's sincerely warning him, do not get in bed with Joe McMillan because it will it ends well for nobody. Yeah. It ends well for literally nobody. <laughs> and you can already see it headed that way. I mean, yeah. the first couple days of work, boom, he's already in the meetings, he's getting manipulated. It's it's not going to work mm-hmm. out well for him. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Cameron has really we're like I said in the first couple of episodes, you know, her story for season 3 hasn't quite yet unfolded. Uh, right. I feel like it's moving in that direction. I think, mm-hmm. you know, Tom's going to be back in the mix at some point probably. Um but mm-hmm. but for now, I it was it was nice to see her and Gordon kind of come to terms uh, at the end of this episode. So yeah. I mean, they they still don't want to be living together forever, but you know that's a reasonable thing to to want. Yeah this this Gordon plot is interesting, but I want to get back to Joe real quick. Okay, I just feel like with everybody. Everybody else in this show is kind of going on this linear 
trajectory, and they're just kind of going on this linear linear character progression, and it's great. It's really entertaining to watch. But Joe has been going up this uh, the Y axis, and then he like shoots over to the Z axis. <laughs> yeah, like it, this is why it's so interesting to me. And it really does kind of make me miss the old Joe in some ways, because I really like the old Joe Mm -hmm. uh, for all of his flaws. Uh, There was something about him that I really liked. I don't know if I like the new Joe. I don't know if there's anything in the new Joe that I actually admire. Uh, Yeah. So that's what I'm interested to see. I'm still trying to figure out new Joe. And, uh, I mean, he is entertaining to watch. He's always kind of been the wild card. You kind of get the idea that the, the next scheme is just around the corner for him at all times. Yeah. Um, so it, it remains to be seen, I guess, whether or not he's actually changed now that he's out in San Francisco or yeah. whether he's just going to be old Joe again at the end of this season. Well, that's what I'm really hoping is that we do see those small things of old Joe pop back. We saw a little bit of it when he gave his Steve Jobs monologue on the stage. Uh-huh. But God damn it, I love to see Joe McMillan pitching somebody. Like yeah. is one of my favorite things is to watch him be in a room with two other guys and he's pitching them. <laughs> like it's it's entertaining to watch. It's like watching Don Draper standing in front of a uh you know placard with some illustration on it and he's telling this story and he's weaving these tales and you know yeah. manipulating people and getting where he wants to go and that's the Joe that I really love. Like I loved it when they were at CES and they uh you know, the giant wasn't working and he had like his big speech that like was like, you don't want to see the giant, do you? Like uh-huh. he just the, his whole manipulation scheme. I want to see more of that because him kind of floating around the hallways cross-legged. It's interesting, <laughs> but I want to see it just a little bit of the old Joe. I kind of miss him. Yeah. My favorite Joe is the one where he is executing on a plan that he has mm-hmm. told no one about. Mm-hmm. Uh, before, mm-hmm. like, in order to show them that it's a good idea, that's yes. what I loved. Like when he did this to Boz, yeah. when he did this to, uh, you know, his father-in-law last season. It was yeah. I, I really love that Joe, so I would like to see that too. I love that Joe too. I love it when, like, when he told IBM that they had the BIOS, just so he could force them into personal <laughs> force Cardiff Electric into personal computing. Right. That's a Joe I love, man. Yeah. He's a schemer. I want to see the schemes. I guess we're probably <laughs> seeing a scheme here. I think so. It's just, there's just too much linen around it. <laughs> right. Too much linen, too much cocaine. Uh, You know. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be an 80s-themed show without a cocaine party, right? Right, and, you know, Gordon definitely sniffed the white powder last season so yeah uh you gotta have the cocaine party i mean this was full on like bowie and cocaine and champagne mm-hmm. and sex and all of the above you know it was psychedelic man yeah it was a psychedelic 80s party and i wanted to go <laughs> what does ryan think of it i love it dude i <laughs> he's so out of place there he's so out of place i love it dude i like i love that like, even that needs to be seen as a manipulation, right? That Joe invited him to that party knowing that he was going to be weirded out by it. Uh-huh. Because the whole thing, the string has to run really deep with Joe and Ryan. And 
you know, Joe's not even participating in the party. He's hanging out in the balcony. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when the hot lady comes over, he's going to go say hi to her. Oh, of course. But uh, but he's just hanging out in the balcony. He's drinking that sweet bottle of wine with Ryan. Um <laughs> Nice guy Ryan coming over. And obviously nobody else at the company was invited. Yeah. So Ryan has access to this guy in a way that nobody else does. So I'm I'm interested. I'll just say I'm very intrigued with Joe. I, this whole B-plot with Joe in this episode was super interesting to me. Yeah, me too. I, I'm still on board with the, you know, Ryan and Joe are more alike than you might think. I, last hmm. episode when he was kind of trying to get his way into this company and he was saying why he wanted to work there uh mm-hmm. i feel like that really hit a nerve or not a nerve but it you know it really hit home with joe because that's very much how joe was early on he had a lot of ideas yeah. he wanted to prove himself he wanted people to take him seriously uh and now joe's got that and ryan's coming up and i feel like this request i guess at the end for you know developing a new revenue stream i feel like that's yeah. a genuine one like joe thinks this yeah. kid is intelligent has good ideas and wants to you know jo- wants him to join uh in you know creating an entirely new product here an entirely new mm-hmm. way of doing business yeah i think he has a little bit of reverence too for that kind of scrappy startup creative culture i mean right. he brought he recruited cameron mm-hmm. into cardiff electric he you remember back when um I never can remember the name of the company, but it's the one that owned Westnet. Uh, yeah. When they, the oil company, when they bu- when they were trying to buy Mutiny, he's like, no, we keep the houses. You guys stay exactly the same as you are. Mm-hmm. We'll just own you as a company. We'll even buy houses around you so you can have, like, the neighborhood. Like, that sort of thing. Yeah. Like, he's got a reverence for that, and I think part of him wants to stick it to all of these tie-wearing uh big wigs in these conference rooms like part of him just really wants to rebel against this kind of ibm monolithic culture that corporate culture mm-hmm. so maybe you're right maybe he's got this reverence for uh for ryan as a creator as somebody who has ideas and can actually pull them off because he's got the chops to actually do them yeah yeah i'm interested i'm interested in joe man i'm very interested to see where this goes <laughs> Uh, let's talk about Gordon here. Okay. Cause where, whereas Joe is intriguing. Gordon is a train wreck. <laughs> oh yeah. Top to bottom. I'm just going to start with this question. Uh, scale of one to 10. How real do you think the people on the ham radio that he was talking to are? Oh man. <laughs> I, I, I got real creeped out when, when he was like, I think it was him who said, uh, Oh, no, it was Donna. Like, all, all those kids you used to do ham radio with grew up. Yeah. But there are more kids out there. And then this, like, almost, like, <laughs> too pristine voice comes across the radio. This guy's looking for kids. This guy's looking mm. for ham radio project kids who are out there. He's going to take advantage of them. He's going to get them to run away. It's creepy. It's gonna, <laughs> it's going to be like the scene when Cameron met up with the dad at the doing the swap. Except the guys, uh, Gordon's going to show up, and the guy's like, "Wait, you're not 13, right? Right? It's going to be real weird. That mustache isn't 13. Come on, <laughs> that mustache isn't 13. It's just a guy who looks exactly like Gordon. Oh no! <laughs> That's oh, when no. Gordon takes a real hard look at the mustache and then shaves uh-huh. it off. And for like, um, and, and they do a scene where for like two minutes he thinks it's a mirror. 
<laughs> oh god this is genius dude put us in the writing room right okay um geez yeah i mean gordon kind of announcing to the whole company that he had slept with another woman uh, is a little over bounds yeah oh yeah a little over the bounds here yep um i mean <sighs> I don't know how much, like, this is the thing with Gordon. How much do you chalk it up to the CTE? How much do you chalk it up to him being a weirdo? How much do you chalk it up to him being antisocial? How much do you chalk it up to him being an in- a genius engineer? I don't know. I think he's primarily guilty. He feels guilty about yeah. it. And so he projects that onto Donna as if she's blaming him more than she is. Uh, right. And, and so, you know, it's it's a complicated stew, right? It's not just guilt. It is. He's also angry at Donna for having blackmailed him to coming to California, I think. Well, that's the crux of it, right? Because he's not wrong. Right. Like, the reason why he is in California blowing dust off of servers in a basement is because he was uh, unfaithful. Uh-huh. And this was her ultimatum, get divorced or come to California. Right. After he revealed that information to her. Now, maybe she would have made that ultimatum if she didn't have that information because the marriage wasn't exactly going swimmingly before that was revealed. Sure. But that is the crux in his mind that the reason why he is here in this situation right now is because he made the choice to uh, have sex with the old high school flame mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of the woods. So, right. And- but it's so unfair to Donna to reveal that to everybody because it's embarrassing for her. Oh, yeah. Like, that's the thing. It's, I mean, this whole thing of, Donna is a saint. Yeah. She has got grace. She has humility. She has patience. She has the patience of Job. Intelligence. Uh, yeah. She's excited about her work. It's like. Right. Yeah, she really Passionate. is. Passionate. She's, a, she's, a, she's the perfect package. And more and more, I am asking myself, why the hell She's sticking with Gordon because this guy, <laughs> yeah, is uh, kind of a, a huge fuck up in a lot of ways. Um, right? I I mean, they are definitely staying together partially for the kids. Right. That's but definitely that's a thing. The, it's another question. Where where the hell do the kids go during the day? <laughs> School? I don't know. Because they are. <laughs> this is, I was watching this episode with my wife. She's like, "Where are the children?" Yeah. They just kind of conveniently pop up when it's appropriate. Yeah. But uh but yeah, like why why is Donna with this guy? It's I feel like announcing to mutiny that he slept with another woman is like grounds for a serious, serious conversation. And they kind of just swept it under the rug. Yeah, they they didn't ever have that conversation when they got home, which is a, a yeah. bit of a or shame. Or they did. They did maybe they did, but they uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe Donna's feeling guilty because she she was going to have an affair. Like, she kissed the guy. He came to her hotel room. Mm-hmm. She kissed the guy. She was down to clown, and he cut her off. Right. This was in season one. It was her boss yeah. over at Texas Instruments. So maybe because of that, she's being a little bit more forgiving. But... Uh, mm-hmm. I'm just saying this this whole Donna Gordon dynamic is getting a little bit tenuous for me, and I'd kind of like for it to smooth itself out and maybe another plot 
device or character development story pick it go you know kind of fill in its place here because right kind of done with this at this point if they're not going to pursue this course with gordon announcing to everybody that he slept with somebody else and they're not going to pursue that to its logical end uh-huh. uh i'm kind of ready to move on from the storyline well so at least they aired some laundry here right because yeah. I, I feel like the first step in getting past this is going to be to talk about it or at least mm-hmm. at least to get it out in the open that Gordon's feeling guilty and angry and Donna's feeling the same. They they need to hammer that out and the only way they they're going to do it is by what happened this episode. It needs to get out there. Right. So I'm I'm hoping that in future episodes we will start to move you know either deeper into that where they're discussing it more and they're trying to figure out how to deal with it or mm-hmm. or or even moving beyond it honestly like you said. Right. They either got to poop or get out the pot. Here. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Same with Cameron living in this house, because that's the other thing, eating at Gordon. <laughs> She's got to shit yeah. or get off the pot with this this housing arrangement. Dude, she can... That's the thing. She can afford a new place. It's not like she can't oh, afford yeah. a new place. They just bought a company for, for $430,000 or whatever they ended up paying for it. Right. Like... I'm sure that they can use some. V- she could use some VC funds to get a studio in the, the Castro or something. Oh yeah. Um. So there, even I if think you got to live in the mission, this. come on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the mission's like in the '80s, but I have no idea what any of these are. I've been to <laughs> San Francisco for one day of my lifetime. Yeah, me too. Um, the the hate hate Ashbury. She could move into okay. the hate. She'd love it. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, like I feel like she can move out if she wanted to. So is that something, or is it, or are they just keeping this around to have like the the odd couple roommate situation? I happening really don't know because I thought exactly the same as you. She can afford mm-hmm. an apartment. Get out of there, right? Like you don't need to be here. Maybe the whole mug thing was like a nice thing of like she likes to be in a home, uh, but she's corrupting the children, <laughs> right? She's. Using the modem, she's listening to Gordon poop. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's it's not an ideal living situation. No, it's not. I don't know about you, but I can't poop when my when my roommates are listening to me. Oh no, I need an insulated. I need like a soundproof room to poop. We, we've <laughs> we've all had that roommate ear to the door <laughs> with the glass. whenever you drop trowel. That's why she's yep, got all the with mugs. The glass. <laughs> <laughs> She's in a room, mug pressed to the wall. <laughs> Fan theory. <laughs> Fan theory. There's nothing in the mugs. She's just walking around with them in her hand just in case somebody has to drop a deuce. She can go listen to it. Yep. Um <laughs> So we've uncovered we've now we've uncovered the real reason why she she's there. She wants to listen to people poop. Um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like she can move out. So that's the thing. This is a little bit of a MacGuffin in some ways because it's like, it's trying to kind of make this crowded house thing a thing when Cameron could really just move out at any time. Yeah. Um, I mean, she had a whole freaking house that she lived in, in Austin on way less salary. Oh yeah. Which she was living in the mutiny house. She bought that house presumably or rented out that house. With, like on with her Cardiff money, and then was able to sustain that with Mutiny Bunny. Now, obviously, it was their place of business as well, but uh, she can move out. Yeah, just putting that on there. I mean, real estate in San Francisco is you know way more expensive, but come on, you can get yeah, a small apartment. This, 
This is 86, though. That's true. I mean, I don't know how expensive it is at this point. Um, yeah. Uh, so let's talk about this scene at the end with, with her and Joe. Because I feel like this really kind of uh, encapsulates the maturity that Cameron has gone through Okay, to this point. Like, she's able to not only have a conversation with Joe McMillan, which I thought she'd never be able to do again, mm-hmm. but she also is able to speak, like, confident. Like, she's the spell is broken at this point. She's not under the spell of Joe McMillan anymore. Yeah. And I feel like in a lot of ways, he had this really, like, kind of aggressive, you know, he had he was he was the alpha in this relationship, and he had this kind of aggressive manner and she was kind of the submissive of the relationship and she had she was would bend to his will and all this crap um but in this one she definitely had the upper hand and joe just comes across as a creep yeah like that line what no kiss was like so (laughs) sleazy and gross oh yeah Uh, um so i think it's a really interesting thing that it shows her kind of character development up to this point and and i think they're kind of crossing in the night uh-huh. But then we followed up with her in the boardroom, and she's trying to take on all this responsibility again and go back to this mutiny thing where she is a control freak. So, right? Do, do you think Joe's comment about you know essentially inventing a new business model here and how mm-hmm. amazing uh, he is being on the cover of Forbes and all that, right. where he basically just says, "I'm giving it away for free. You don't have to buy it." Uh, yeah. Do you think that gets under her skin, and that's kind of maybe why she wants to double down on this? Is, is that's she a good pushing point. harder because of that? Yeah, I mean that's definitely not in. in if if you or, don't view that th- that last scene in a vacuum, I think that you could definitely correlate those two things. Yeah, or could it could it also be alternatively um, that she sees that she doesn't need Joe and she doesn't actually want Joe and also doesn't want Tom. Like maybe mm. she's doing this so she won't have to bring Tom back. Because she's just yeah. had a, a clash with another guy who, you know, has kind of disturbed her life in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe she's trying to keep them from needing Tom. I don't know, man. I, this whole Tom thing. Tom rejected her. She gave him the plane ticket. She said, sure. come to California with me. And he rejected her. So I feel like she's doing the very adult thing here. Uh-huh. Of spying uh, on him when, on her network while he's exactly invading his private chats. <laughs> exactly. I mean, part of me thinks that he's he has to have an understanding that she is going to at least have an awareness that he is on mutiny still. Right. Yeah. Like it seems like this is the type of thing he should probably just get away from, mm-hmm. um, and not be doing private chats on mutiny. Um, but. I mean, they're, they are teasing him so much that he's going to have to show up at some point. I would think so. The only thing this is, that's it's way too outlandish. But if Joe hired Tom, that would be like the biggest <laughs> oh, F you ever. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, like, they're, like they're looking for another coder. Uh, Ryan finds this guy on the mutiny forums. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a super solid coder. He's got a lot of good ideas. They fly him in. And then Cameron reads the transcripts of all of their <laughs> private messages oh, on Mutiny, where Joe's recruiting Ryan via Mutiny to come work for him. Uh, I don't know. 
It's a good question, though, because she is overexerting herself. Sure. Like, she needs to not, you know, I don't know. Donna in these business meetings is kind of bumming me out. Because she's supposed to be, like, the commander of these things. And she's Mm -hmm. basically just doing whatever Cameron says. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. In that that last meeting, Cameron says, well, I'll just do the coding. And Gordon is like, we're already a third of the way behind because we're waiting on you already for stuff. Mm -hmm. And Boz is like, yeah, that's true. And then uh, Donna jumps in. Nope. If she wants to do it, she's going to do it. It's like, that's not the best way that a company works. (laughs) Collaboration, folks. Right. Collaboration, delegation. Especially when you're racing to market with a new idea, right? I mean, yes. granted, they, they bought out Swap Meet, but there are other competitors that are certainly going to hit on this idea, and they need to beat up yeah. the market. Exactly, and news um, news travels fast in the Valley. Like yeah. People are going to know that Mutiny bought Swap Meet, mm-hmm. and a company, a larger company with more resources could beat them to the punch and race them to the market. Right. Uh, and if they're sitting around waiting for Cameron to finish coding, then they're going to be left in the dust. You think that's so, going to be the motive to bring in Tom? Hmm. I don't know. Because he's got to get brought in at some point, right? Yeah, I think so. Like, he's been teased way too much to not come back. Yeah. Um, That could be the motive. Could be the motive that you, that they get behind and that he can come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, could be another CES situation. Could be like the slingshot. Remember the slingshot? The beat them to market. Uh, Could be like that kind of situation where maybe Tom puts together some kind of swap me thing. I don't know. Oh, man. Like I said, I'm not a writer. Sure. But but Tom has got to show up at some point. Yeah. And with this show, the more intrigue, the better around how he reveals himself. Uh, speaking so. of the swap meet buyout, yep. I have to say, Boz, Boz, once mm-hmm. again, Boz comes through yep. and he delivers Absolutely. maybe the most entertaining scene of the entire episode where he, <laughs> he goes into swap meet, he sees what's up, he rips up that check, and then he puts these people in their place. I love it. It's I really love that scene. Oh, it's so good. It's just it's, Boz being I- Boz. Just Boz being Boz, but we mentioned it before. Boz has had a shitty season three so far. Well, between the robot butler, well, yeah, that butler didn't go off as planned. (laughs) Yeah, between the robot butler and between getting shit on by the coders and not being able to see his grandson, he's having a bad time. Yeah, I love to see it. I I love the I love the swagger, man. Mm -hmm. I love I love uh, Boz the swag man coming in, being like, "That's the game." Yeah. That's why you play, but they could have gone the other way, but they didn't. Like <laughs> you know, oh, so that good. was great. And I think that they're more than you know telegraphing here that him and Diane probably uh, could have a future. Yep. So that's what I saw too. Good things in the future for Mister Bosworth. I I hope. I hope so. Uh, I would love to see a Boz episode. All Boz, you know. Not all Boz, but Boz a plot. Okay. You know, I think Boz has at, at most been relegated to B plot so far. Like even the episode where he gets arrested and thrown in prison, still a B plot episode. It's a, so I would, I would just love to see him in the A plot. They're gonna do it. Next week is gonna be Boz walking through a casino, and he sees a picture of Frank Sinatra, and for the whole episode, he thinks it's a mirror. 
<laughs> By golly, I think my hair's growing back. <laughs> That's a pretty good boss. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I love to see Boz in action, man. And uh, I don't know if this is a thing, like these shell companies in the valley that are like three people in a giant office building. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. Like for me, I was like, I thought that they were going to go uh, to that company, see that it was basically a shell, and then be like, you know what? We're not going to pay anything for this. We could beat you to market ourselves Yeah, because you guys are a bunch of dum-dums. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not going to do that with Cameron doing her thing. Yep. Uh, let's talk about Donna a little bit here too, because Donna has her awkward power lunch mm-hmm. where she gets super drunk, and that's directly following Gordon's uh, revelation to everybody and his storm out. So she basically goes from that, goes to lunch with Diane, and drinks a bunch of gin and tonics, and doesn't know how to say risotto. Right. Um. Says it like Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. <laughs> Risotto. Uh, so I'm a little worried about Donna. Okay, why? I'm just a little worried about her. Because of what I mentioned before, she seems to be kind of parroting whatever uh, Cameron says. Mm-hmm. And we know that while Cameron is a very gifted coder, and while she is becoming a better and better business person as she goes along, she is still Cameron. She's still a little bullheaded. Mm-hmm. Um, she still generally thinks that her way is best, um, no matter what. Uh, and so, uh, her kind of parroting Cameron is, is a little bit disconcerting because she hasn't really stood up to her yet this season at all. Um, and then also this thing, like she went to this lunch with Diana and I feel like she's completely outclassed in the lunch. Um, and it makes me concerned about the way that Diane is viewing Donna. Right. Especially since Diane is now currently uh, kind of impressed with the Boz experience. Uh, yeah, d- so, definitely. I mean, she she goes in there and, you know, she had just kind of shut down Gordon, where Gordon was saying, mm-hmm. you know, we need to present a good face on this. Like, you need to hand deliver this stuff. And I feel like Donna uh, yeah. goes in and, what what is it, Diane, you said? Yes, Diane. Uh, Diane agrees with Gordon. She's, like, surprised. What is this yeah. first first contact thing you're talking about right uh or first responder whatever she says it is yeah whatever the entry man i don't remember so, something man advanced man advanced man i think it was the advanced man yeah uh, it makes me wonder how much gordon's advice is going to be useful but uh, yeah right. i mean regardless yeah donna is D- donna is still dealing with a lot of stuff in the background you know as much as she has put together yeah. um and can kind of not not shrug off that stuff, but continue to function while that stuff is going on. Uh, it right. still bothers her. I mean, you see it because like her experience at that at that restaurant where she's pounding gin and tonics right. mirrors Gordon's, right. where he's pounding beers. Right? Like exactly, they are man. both trying to deal with this while also going about their daily lives. Yeah, and they both turned to the bottle pretty quickly. Oh, immediately. <laughs> yeah. Like as soon as Donna had the had the door open, oh, I can drink at lunch. <laughs> she was she was having a happy lunch. Yeah. Um 
So, yeah, and not to mention, I mean, there's still residual things here. Donna is dealing with stuff that Gordon and Boz never have to deal with, and that's the sexism in the Valley. Right. Uh, So, uh, you know, we definitely saw that that got to Cameron's head a little bit in the last episode because um, when when they confronted Diane at the at the uh, birthday party, Cameron was like, you know, I think it's for three reasons. And the third one is that, you know, you guys are sexist pigs and, mm-hmm. uh, and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, yeah, well we are, se- or my boss is a sexist pig, but at the same time, this is why we did. So it was, you could see it was getting to Cameron's head a little bit. And I think there's definitely residual stuff here. Like you can't exist in this environment, uh, that is, uh, pretty much bent against you succeeding and, and not, uh, try to be vigilant and it, it, and it can wear on you. It can make you a little bit timid or a little bit paranoid or a little bit over, overcompensative. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe Donna's going through a little bit this, of this right now. But you have to remember, like, Gordon ran Cardiff Electric. Him and Joe ran that company. Right. Once Boz went to prison, <laughs> uh, Joe and Gordon had a meeting with Cardiff and he gave them both 8% of the company, or he split 8% of the company to them and said, you guys run this from now on as a team. Mm-hmm. So Gordon has experience running a company, and presumably once Joe burned down the truck of Giants and, and you know went off the map, Gordon ran the company. He was probably the head of the company for that time. So he's got valuable advice. Yeah. He's just not being listened to at all. Right. For, um, for you know, some fairly good reasons. Uh, so, yeah, but absolutely. some bad. Yeah, you know, he definitely has a propensity to fuck up in big ways. Uh, Sonoris is a big fuck was a fuck up in a big way. Um, his PC company crashed and burned. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, a, a lot because he was paranoid and do, saying crazy things to his employees. So. Right, I, I'm not necessarily talking about you know him fucking up as as the the reasons why they're not listening to him, but like you yeah. know Cameron's relationship with Tom that that's mm-hmm. a real reason not to bring somebody back in right i mean yeah that's going to cause maybe more problems than it solves right um and and you know he doesn't know about that and it causes an outburst but uh i think that's a pretty good reason not to to necessarily take his advice on that i think that's true and he's also he's coming at it from a corporate angle he's like so what you had a relationship with the guy he's a good coder we should we should bring him in they, he's seeing these people as resources instead of as human beings sure, yeah uh so he's you know bringing that perspective to it but um you know donna what we've seen her really thrive at is operations like she's an amazing operations person yeah. she can uh work with these guys with these crazy coders in the bullpen and she can uh make sure they deliver on time she makes sure uh you know all of the bills are paid for. She makes sure that, you know, their their operating margin is correct. Um, she knows how much money they have in the bank. She is the operations person. She's the chief operating officer, and that's where she really thrives. Yeah. And when it comes to it, um, you know, maybe somebody like Boz is a really good resource because we could see what he could do with his business savvy. Uh, and so this is my thing. I'm just a little bit worried about Donna because I, I'm afraid that she's trying to kind of step into this leadership role and in doing so, she's blocking herself from learning and growing in that role from people who have experience in that role as well. Sure. Yeah, it almost and, feels like they should yeah. relieve Cameron from a lot of her 
you know, CEO yeah. type duties and put boss in that place totally. because she loves to code. Yeah. Get her back on yeah. coding. She can double her, yep. her efforts on that. And Boz can do mm-hmm. what he does best, you know? He's not a manager. He's not there to just sit in his office and <laughs> try and go through meetings that he barely understands. He's out there choosing, yeah. and he wants to sell. I mean, I, yeah. I don't know if that's what he was doing, like, last episode where he made the phone call to his son. Because um, mm-hmm. he's out there telling the story about jacking off an elephant. Yeah. Is that... Or dinosaur. I believe it was a dinosaur. A, a dinosaur, right. Uh, is yes. that... Is that him working or is that him in his leisure time? That's a good question. I think they insinuated that it was working because he then called his son from there. You think if it was his free time, he would have made the time to call his son earlier. <laughs> right. But yeah, like who is he selling to? Do they have an enterprise community <laughs> solution? I, for, I guess maybe yeah. he's doing more sales than I think he is, but yeah. I, I wish they would show a little Funding. more of that. Although, you know, they did this episode. It was great. Like, if I, you know, the way that I look at it, the way that Mutiny should operate, uh, Cameron should be CTO, mm-hmm. Donna should be COO, Bosch should be CEO, Gordon should be fired. <laughs> he's he's a CFO. Come on. He's, he's donating oh, no. all the money here. Mm, nope. Gordon should be promoted to board member. <laughs> okay. Sure. And just sit there and do nothing. Let the board deal with him. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I think uh, that's a pretty good lineup. I think it's a good lineup too, and I know that it it contradicts the the opportunity that is there for Donna and Cameron as women pioneering in the Silicon Valley. Like, I understand that like that right. is a big part of what they're doing here, and they are trying to just you know they come up against this glass ceiling over and over again and instilling mm-hmm. a dude in the CEO position isn't going to be helping things but it looks like from a talent perspective and the way yeah. the places that these people thrive that seems like the most logical way that the the place should be organized yeah does to me and and clear roles are important mm-hmm. clear roles are very important in any group like uh you know with you and Aaron you guys are you know, Aaron is the uh, the big cuddly guy. He's the good cop. You're the bad cop. <laughs> I'm the bad cop. You're the bad cop. Everybody knows it, oh, Jim. Oh, boy. I'm going to start <laughs> you know, wearing linen. Need... Maybe I can get a Zen thing going. I love it, dude. I want to watch it. Next <laughs> next gym, lunch with Jim and Aaron. you better be wearing oh, linen. Oh, man. Can I even I find... mean, you already grew... You, you grew out the beard. Yeah. Yeah, it's growing. You know? You have the glasses. <laughs> All you need is the linen, dude. I wonder if Goodwill has some linen clothes I can get. Everybody knows that if some if you need somebody to drop the hammer, you call Jim. Right. The hammer dropper. That's what I'm here for. Uh, anyway. And I tear up every check we get. Every single one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, you know, we end this episode with everybody bickering. I really feel like some role delegation here would be appropriate for this group of people. Because mm-hmm. if you have a meeting every day and... All you do is sit around and bicker. It sounds like you're just allocating decision-making to everybody, which means you're allocating decision-making to nobody. Yeah. You need to have a linchpin here. You need to have uh, somebody who is a single ringable neck, <laughs> who makes the decisions and is responsible for making those decisions and is held responsible yeah. for the decisions that they make. So, anyway, that's my corporate philosophy. You can read my book... <laughs> Uh, it's taught in business school. Uh-huh. 
It's called Eric's uh, Hexagon of Success. <laughs> uh, it goes through my hexagon principles of success. I, I would um, ask you to list those off real quick, but I don't want to give away too much of the book, you know? I mean, community, uh, motivation, intelligence, mm-hmm. food, <laughs> innovation, synergy, right? and that's six. Okay, that is six. <laughs> and that is six. <laughs> so... It's not in business schools. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think that's that's all the characters. Uh, do you have anything else on the show? No, no. I think I'm 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 really looking forward to next week. Although, wait, wait, one more thing. Mm-hmm. I'm oh, super yeah. happy to see that Matthew Lillard is in the mix now. Because who's Matthew? Who's Matthew Lillard? I I am a big Matthew Lillard fan. He's mm-hmm. he's uh, I can't remember the Freddie Prinze baseball movie that he did, but that's not what I know him from. Uh, he's okay. he's uh, oh, serial he's the, killer he's the in guy? Uh, Hackers. He plays, okay, I, did, I haven't seen he that. He plays Can I know or whatever that guy about, is this episode. Yeah, he plays the the like business guy. I, is he a marketing guy? I don't know who he is. He played. He was uh, Shaggy in the Scooby Doo yes, movies. Yes, he absolutely was. Yeah, like I've only seen him in kind of like goofy roles, uh-huh. so it's interesting seeing him in this like head of the boardroom table type of role. Yeah, I I so. kind of grew up with that guy, not not personally, but you know, in, in media, <laughs> like uh, SLC Punk was a big movie for him. It's like uh-huh. a lot of really. She's cool all stuff that. Uh, Talk about she's all that. I with Freddie Prince. No, Jr.? the baseball movie. Oh, that's not Freddie Prince. The baseball movie for. Well, he was in She's All That with Freddie Prince Jr., so he's basically BFFs with Freddie Prince. Oh, he was? So, Man, oh, yeah. I don't remember that. Okay. Hope, I'm just on his IMDb right. page. But uh, hopefully we get the little Freddie Prince, maybe. <laughs> It'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested to see how... Uh, how I hope that they bring him back so they can break the news to him that they're keeping it free. Yeah, I don't think you hire Matthew Lillard unless he's going to be a recurring character. Yeah have a recurring Mm -hmm. role um like because i think that people need to understand or like the board needs to understand i think that joe understands this but giving something away for free may allow you to get a resource that you can use to drive revenue right like the reason why facebook is worth so much is because they have data on 1.7 billion people (laughs) Uh uh-huh they have data on more people than the nsa like they are, and people are giving it to them for free. Like that is the that's the great thing about commerce is that things that if you like tried to force people to do it or charge people to do it, they're not going to do it. But if you give it to them for free, a lot of times they'll be like, "Yeah, sure, I'll tell you my birthday and every place <laughs> that I've ever worked and my address and my phone number uh-huh. and uh, all of my relatives and everybody that I've ever been friends with in my entire life. I'll give you all that information." Yeah. Uh and here are here's like 400 pictures of me as well. <laughs> right. Tag my face yeah. and let my friends know and all that stuff. Uh so there could be there could be something nefarious about this because maybe they could use the antivirus software to do a little bit of tracking for people to might be able to predict market trends and I mean data is worth stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm know. trying to figure out when it kind of became known though. I don't know that in 1986 people really understood those types of opportunities. Like, obviously, yeah. we have a lot of sort of freemium type business models now. We've got microtransactions, mm-hmm. like DLC type mm-hmm. stuff. We've got uh, 
embedded advertising. We've got, like you said, data collection. There's a lot of ways you can make money off of free software. But back back then, I think, you know, we're about to see the development of the first type of those. Right. That's what that's what really interests me about what, what Joe and Ryan are doing yeah. in Joe's apartment. Because, uh, like, what is the next Forrest Gump moment that we're going to have? Right. Like, are they going to start data mining? Or maybe uh-huh. they'll... Uh, I don't know. I mean, today data is so uh, valuable mm-hmm. with more and more with, you know, with the, with the uh, propensity of machine learning and, mm-hmm. uh, and just everything that we could do with, with in terms of processing and analyzing data and making projections and all that. We've never had more data than we've ever had. So uh, having some kind of, um, you know, it, I think it'd be great if it even contradicted itself like this, the software that is there to make your computer safe makes you less safe right. or something like that. I mean, that's that's the kind of interesting stuff that I want them to explore on this show. So, yep. We'll see. We shall goes. see. Matthew Lillard and his goatee. <laughs> um So, yeah, uh oh, we do have a we do have a prediction here on the forums. Mr. X in Colorado says, "What is Ryan going to invent? The Yahoo toolbar malware that gets bundled with free antivirus software?" Yeah, it could be. I love it. You know, Joe is very big on adding a stock ticker to Mutiny. Yeah, so <laughs> we could have a we could have a toolbar add-on. Who knows? Uh, all right. Well, I guess that's the show this week. You got anything else? Okay, before we go, we do have a couple of emails to go through. Awesome. Uh, we got one from a name you might recognize, Roger Dotsie. Roger Dotsie, the Kentucky Colonel. Oh, yeah. Uh, says, love the show. I love the new dynamic of having Jim and Eric together. It's fun stuff. I uh, just had a couple of thoughts on this week's episode. First, I'm worried about Gordon. This isn't an actual prediction, more of a concern for him. I have a bad feeling that he's going to get very absorbed with this radio he's been talking into. I think he's going to go down a rabbit hole where he's more comfortable venting to the radio than talking to anyone else, especially because he has no friends in California and he and Donna's marriage is strained. On top of that, I wouldn't be surprised that with his brain condition, if it's not even uh, anyone else on the other side that he's actually talking Mm to. So that's, that's interesting. We didn't talk much about this radio, but you're right. This could, this might not even necessarily be an actual person he's hearing. That is absolutely true. I feel like there's going to be a scene where Donna goes back into the closet and it's unplugged. <laughs> He's been talking <laughs> on it all day. Maybe because when they hear when he hears yeah. that voice at first, he kind of gets behind the equipment and rattles yeah. it around, and he's like, I, "Yeah, yeah." I, the more I think about it, the more that sounds like a plausible idea. It totally is, and he, and it's totally at his like moment of weakness. Like yeah. he goes home, he cracks the beer, and then all of a sudden he's a little crackle in the closet. He like runs in the closet. Hello, hello. Uh-huh. Um, so I think that there's weight to that. That this this radio may not be uh, may not be kosher. The other thing though is that I think it's an interesting juxtaposition of the ham radio and mutiny as a company. Uh, Gordon isn't into online an online persona. He's not chatting with people on community. He's not a part of the right of the community itself. Um, so he kind of represents this kind of, you know, the heavy box, the, the hardware, he's the hardware guy. He wants to make it with his hands and turn it on and have it work. And mm-hmm. while he has dabbled in, uh, software to a pretty disastrous degree, <laughs> um, 
there's something about that about going into the closet and having those hardwired things. But I think I think Roger's totally right here. There is a complete uh, opportunity here for this radio to not be real, and <laughs> also I do think it's. I mean, we're going to have a scene where Donna finds him talking to somebody about this because mm-hmm. these things tend to resonate. I would yeah. think so. Yeah. Uh, and then finally we have Frankie R writes in with some advice on the Tandy Shandy. Love it. Uh, he says, well, I don't have firsthand knowledge. Well, I, I do Frankie. Yeah. And I can tell you that the Coke and Budweiser just wasn't doing it. Uh-huh. Uh, he says, I'd guess a proper Tandy Shandy in the Silicon Prairie would probably be a Dr. Pepper and a Shiner Bach. Uh huh. Dr. Pepper is bottled still in Texas and it's a big source of pride for the region. And nice. Shiner is a dominant beer brand in Texas. Uh, also, advice on flavor combinations the bach in particular is a bit sweet so could go well with the dr pepper have you had a shiner bach eric oh yeah <laughs> oh, okay speak from Definitely experience what do you think of that combination the dr pepper and shiner bach well i mean at shiner bach uh I, 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 i'd give it a shot i'd give it a shot i like the thing i'm okay. more intrigued by is the dr pepper because as we all know dr pepper has 23 flavors in it uh-huh. so what's one more Right, I mean the thing <laughs> sure. is with Coke, such a distinctive flavor, crisp, clean Coca Cola. Right, eh, Dr Pepper is a little bit of a you know suicide beverage. It's kind of like somebody just sprayed every everything in a in a can and and uh, and that's what it is. Plus, it does have. I checked on it because I wasn't sure if, if Dr Pepper has caffeine. It does have three point four two milligrams of caffeine per fluid ounce. So you're going to be rocking, uh, okay, thirty six milligrams of caffeine minimum that'll keep you sharp that'll keep you sharp uh i like it i'm I'm a fan all right in i'm fact, gonna try this one next week i like it i like the idea man because because i i can get Shinerbach up here so uh I, I think i think we should try it next week because i don't and, have one handy this week so i want to want to try it next week I, I think what we should do each week we need we need everyone to send in their recipes and each Love week it. we'll try a different tandy shandy until we hit upon one we think is worthy of making it the official Mutiny Community Tandy Shandy. Holy shit, this is a good idea. By the end of the season, we will have the official recipe. The official Tandy Shandy. Yes. And guys, I'm, I think that we need to cut off energy drinks. Okay, I'm with you. Mo- mostly yeah. because we record at night, and I'm not going to drink an energy drink at night. What, what about Jolt Cola or Surge? I feel like Jolt and I feel like Surge are fair game. I feel like it has to be a soda. Okay. It has to be a sodi pop that is readily accessible, so we can try it. Right. I'm interested in the Mountain Dew combo because I think we could do some interesting <laughs> things with Mountain Dew. Okay, and beer uh, and beer. Oh, that just it's got, sounds. Mm. It, it's got the citrus flavor. I think maybe if you pair it with the Hef or something. Oh, I see. Okay, now you could got possibly, my attention. Could possibly go. Not to mention, Mountain Dew is the choice drink for uh, nerds who want to stay up late. Okay, well, send your Tandy Shandy recipes to mutiny at baldmove.com. We will consider all comers. Excellent. Uh, and by the end of this season, we will have the official Tandy Shandy. I love this, dude. I love this. Uh, and I just want to put a disclaimer on that. I'm speaking as a nerd. I, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm speaking inclusively as a nerd. I think they know that, To Eric. other nerds. I think really? they know you speak as a nerd. Does that come across? <laughs> Who knows? All right. Uh, so, yeah, please reach out to us. Mutiny at baldmove.com. Uh, also, the forums. Go to forums.baldmove.com. We'll have a forum thread there for each and every show. Uh, Absolutely. And I think 
I think that's it for this week, Jim. That is it. We will see you guys next week. And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Eric. Log out.